It's a privilege to open God's word with you. About a week ago, I was catching up with some UBC members, and I bumped into Michael Glenn. We were talking for a little bit, and I had to completely cut off our conversation because I noticed something out of the corner of my eye right here on his wrist. It's tattooed. I had to, I had to double check. It was what I thought it was. Luke 23:46 tattooed right there. So application point number one, go get a tattoo. No, okay. So, but seriously, this one verse made a deep impression on Michael's life, and you know you can ask him more about that. But regardless of your thoughts on markings on your outside of your body, on your skin, I do pray tonight that that this one verse would um, would permanently mark your hearts. Hearing Jesus' words on the cross would actually mark your hearts forever. To that end, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you or the the handout, turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke was a a traveling ministry partner of Paul, just at his side recording um, things happening in the life of Jesus and looking back, but also contemporary to his own life in the book of Acts. And he wrote both of these books for Christians and now, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, calling it a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, accomplishments among us. Now, why exactly did he write it? And Luke 1, verse 4 says that, so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. We really can be certain of Jesus' accomplishments. We can be certain of Jesus' accomplishments. But what exactly did Jesus accomplished for us, and what does it mean for us? What are we certain of? What are those accomplishments? I think verse 46 in chapter 23 really helps us with that. Luke chapter 23, verse 46, if you read with me. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Let's read it one more time. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be certain that Jesus accomplished two things. King Jesus gave himself as the payment for sinners and the pattern for sufferers. That's our main idea. The two accomplishments of Jesus that we see here, King Jesus gave himself as the payment for sinners and as the pattern for sufferers. And we'll take those as as two points if if you're a careful note taker. Accomplishment number one, payment for sinners. Accomplishment number two of King Jesus is the pattern for sufferers. Let's first focus on Jesus as payment for sinners. Anytime there's a payment, there's a price that you paid, a price that that you paid on the price tag, and that covered a debt. So you have the price paid and the debt that was owed. Now, if you're super careful note takers, yes, point number one has two subpoints. It's kind of like a cross. I actually drew, I was like, wow, okay, two point, anyway, that's, a, that's an assign. That one's for free. If we look at the price paid first, that will help us understand the depth of the debt that was owed on the cross. So first price paid, what exactly did Jesus pay? What did he, he pay? And I think that hymn that we, most of us are probably familiar with, the title gets it completely right. Jesus paid it all. 
Jesus paid everything. He paid it all. He gave his last breath, so we read of that, him giving his body, his very last dying breath, and then he gives what he calls his spirit. Now, don't get tripped up by this word. I think here, spirit just refers to everything not physical about a person. Similar to what John shared earlier, the, the inner person, the, the non-physical part of you. So our church's statement of faith speaks of spirits this way. Though our bodies after death return to dust, so there's bodies, our spirits live on awaiting the bodily resurrection. So the spirits. So you have, <laughs> so you have body and spirit given by the same person. What else is there to give? Jesus gave everything he had. He gave everything. And, but people die every day. People die every day all over the world. Sometimes we may know people who die very close to us. This one is unique, though, because of who died. And to understand the magnitude of the price paid, we have to know who Jesus is. Who is the person saying these things? And to get to know someone, this is free advice, listen to their words. If you want to get to know someone, just listen really intently to their words. Jesus speaks words here for us as he's dying, and he picks one line of Psalm 31. If you're here this morning, you, you heard all about Psalm 31. And that was David's experience. And Jesus picks this up for a purpose. Much like we heard about David this morning, Jesus has been falsely accused. He's been under the reproach of his enemies, and he's condemned to suffer by their hands. Okay, that's one thing. But Jesus is also a king. It's not just any man. He's also a king, and not just a king like David, somewhat like him. He's actually the truly man, truly God king that David was preparing us for. So by making this quote, King Jesus is boldly, unequivocally crying out with a loud voice for everyone to hear, no mistaking it, his complete innocence, his total sinlessness. Nurses in the room, I hope there are some, you may be familiar with this, but deathbed confessions, I mean, when people are, are on their deathbed, their mistakes and sometimes crimes, you can look up some crazy stuff online, just Google that later, just flash before their eyes, and they feel this weight of death pressing on them, and their guilt just has to come out, and they have to confess. But don't miss this, friends. This, don't miss this. Detailed. When pressed to the point of death, there is actually no sin, no white lie, no lustful thought, no sexual immorality, no envy, no malice, no sinful anger, no disobedience to God that Jesus can confess. There is nothing sinful in Christ. And why does that matter? Well, only a sinless Savior can save sinners. Only a sinless Savior can save sinners. And that begs the question, well, okay, why did he die? <laughs> he paid a price, but there must have been a debt that was owed. And more pointedly, who exactly did he die for? From Psalm 31, this morning we read near the end, the Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. So look at me now, and then everybody look to your left, and look to your right. Okay, now go home, 
look in the mirror tonight, you all have seen a lot of sinners, <laughs> a lot of people who've fallen short of the glory of God, who actually act in pride, as Psalm 31 would put it, who actually fall short of the glory of God. And not just many, but actually all of us fall in that category. All of us owe God an unpayable debt. We each are guilty, but condemned before a creator, but what exactly do we owe God? What exactly do we owe him? And as Jesus breathes his last answer to that question, he's breathing his last. He's crying out about the hands of God. I'm reminded of Job 12.10. It's a fantastic verse to memorize later. Job 12.10, in his hand, talking about God, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So get this, the breath that you just drew in moment ago was a gift from your maker. It was a gift from your creator. And apart from Christ, we use our breath to curse God. But in, <laughs> meanwhile, while we do that, while we still do that, King Jesus became a curse for sinners and actually gave his last breath to save them. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We and us don't get confused. That language is talking about those who've actually turned from their sin, repented, turned from their rebellion to this king, and actually trusted in him to save them. Trusted in him to save them forever. If you've never done that, then I would just ask, why not? Why not? Don't let another breath come out of you before you've actually turned to the breath given for your own life. The same spirit that raised Christ from the grave can actually resurrect your dead heart and bring you into a life of love and fellowship with God. He wants to welcome you. Trust in him. Repent from sin. Turn from rebellion. Love this king who gave himself for you. And I, I would just love nothing more than to, in Cole's words this morning, rearrange the rest of my day, the rest of my week to talk with you about that. Talk with a member of UBC about what it would mean to trust this king. King Jesus gave himself as the payment for sinners. He also accomplished something else. He gave himself as the pattern for sufferers, so a model to imitate, a way forward to walk, an example to imitate. Now, Peter... The Apostle Peter was standing at the cross, witnessing Christ, crying out these words, again, in a loud voice for everyone to hear. And I think that Peter was actually reflecting on that experience when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to, a faithful, to their faithful creator while doing good. Entrust their souls. There's that idea of committing your spirit, entrusting your souls, doing what Christ did. Brothers and sisters, don't discount the scope of salvation that our King secured. We should focus on the fact that Christ saved us from our sin, but he also saved us through our suffering, through our suffering, preserving us as precious children, fellowshipping with us in our affliction, not leaving us abandoned, not leaving us out in the cold, but actually with us and for us. 
Now, sometimes following this pattern, following this model, the king's path, has meant literally dying for Christ's name, up to that extreme. So Stephen, in Acts 7, he sounded a whole lot like Jesus. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He sound, and he sounds so much like Jesus. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen says, receive my spirit. I want nothing more than for you to have it. I'm entrusting myself to you. So whether it's being at the extreme, being killed for Christ's name, or it's simply being slandered by, by a so-called friend, or it's being wrongly distrusted by a neighbor, or it's being passed over for promotion at work, or it's being daily screamed at by toddlers. Pick your poison. Perhaps it means physically being physically hurt and harmed and abused. Or it's being emotionally abandoned, given the cold shoulder by family. Or misrepresented in an argument. Or pressured to conform to a sinful policy. Or many things such as these. I could go on. We could be here till tomorrow. I have one question for you. When you find yourself in that situation, what do you do with that? There's many options. You have many options at your disposal. What do you do with that when you face the mockery, the scorn, the shame, disrespect, misrepresentation of the world? Do you clench your teeth and bear down and, and just look for inner strength? Do you collapse under the pressure? Do you just wilt under the heat of persecution? Or do you actually lash out in rage, fighting fire with fire, fighting the world with the world's weapons? All of these approaches are at risk of forgetting the job description of Christians. When we applied for this job, we, we saw the job description, and this is, this is it. Jesus didn't want any of his followers to be deceived. He made it as crystal clear as he could when he said, if anyone should follow after me, he must Take up his, his what? You guys can just yell it out. And how often? Daily. Now, that's not a call for you to individually muster up strength to take up your cross. We actually do that as a church. We do that bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, yes, but mourning with those who mourn. And we help one another to take up our crosses daily. So summarizing how these fit together, don't miss this. Precisely because Jesus endured God's wrath for us, because he endured God's wrath for us, we can endure this world's wrath for his name. Don't discount either one. So because Jesus endured God's wrath for us, we can endure the world's wrath for his name, living distinct lives and entrusting our souls to our faithful creator while doing good waiting upon the Lord, calling upon him in faith and hope and love. King Jesus gave himself as the payment for sinners and as the pattern for sufferers. The one who bled for you, who gave his last breath for you, will never leave you nor forsake you. You really can trust him with everything. There's not a corner of your life that you can't entrust to him with all of ourselves. You know, Michael Glenn told me that he read Luke 23, 46, this verse, as a non-Christian. And it was the verse that compelled him to actually entrust 
his whole life to this king in faith and repentance, trusting forever in the finished work of Christ to save him. And it saved him from his sin, and again, it, it saves him now through his suffering. Let's pray that, that we would do the same. Let's pray that we would do the same together as one church. Please pray with me. Father God, we commit ourselves to you, not because we have such a strong faith or sinless lives, but because we have a strong and sinless Savior who suffered in our place. We pray we would follow this King for the rest of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.